Welcome to the Word of God with Father Reed Henserling. We're so glad that you could join us today. And we are looking at Proper 20, and we are going to review three books of the Bible. The first of these is an Old Testament book called 2 Kings. Now, 2 Kings is what we call a history book, and it is the continuation of 1 Kings. After 2 Kings is listed 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. They are not exactly the same. It's more from the kingly perspective, but 1 and 2 Chronicles complement 1 and 2 Kings. We'll be looking at 2 Kings chapter 4 through 2 Kings chapter 11. Secondly, we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were people that lived in Corinth, in Greece, and they are a very interesting lot of people. We spoke about them last week, and we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And finally, a gospel reading, as always. And we were in Mark, and now we are in Matthew. Matthew 5 through Matthew 6, verse 24. We'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew is chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we'll be looking at portions of chapter 5 and chapter 6. Again, I encourage you to be reading the scriptures on a regular basis. Please note the list of scriptures on this post. You will see those scriptures that you are to read each and every day. Meditate on them. Think about them. Read them slowly. Pray about what God is saying to you regarding the scriptures. Oftentimes he speaks to us directly. The Holy Spirit takes these eternal words and touches our hearts in a significant way. Have a plan to read, as I said, consistently. Have a plan that will nourish your soul. Your goal is to grow in Christ, to be mature in Christ, and to nourish your soul in the process with God's holy word. All right, let's begin in 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, what's going on in 2 Kings is we had the transition from Elijah the oral prophet to Elisha the oral prophet. And now we are reading about Elisha. We read about Elijah in 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha picks up his mantle and he also begins to do some outstanding, outstanding miracles. Elisha and the widow's oil we see that scripture, verses 8 to 37. We see the Shunammite woman, verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunam, where a wealthy woman lived. She urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Very smart woman. She's accommodating the prophet of God. Now, one day he came there, and he rested, and Elijah, 
Elisha said, call this Shunammite. Say to her, see, you have taken all the trouble for us. What is it to be done for you? What would you have a word spoken on our behalf to the king of the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Well, she has no son. Her husband is old. Call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Isn't that incredible? Here's a situation where there's no possible way that she could get pregnant. He prophesies it. He prophesies the time, and he says that you are going to have a son. The woman conceived. She bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. The miracle working of God in the Old Testament. Now, Elisha, in the next series of verses, raises this woman's son from the dead. Now, talk about a miracle. The child sat on her lap till noon and then died, verse 20. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, verse 22, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. All is well. Then she saddled her donkey and said to the servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She set out and went to the Mount, man of God at Mount Carmel. Very wise to go and see the man of God. There's the Shunammite woman, verse 26. Run to meet her. Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? She came to the Mount of God. She caught hold of his feet. She is in bitter distress, Elisha says. The Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Verse 28, did I ask for my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take up my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Gehazi went on ahead. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. And there was no sound or sign of life. The child is not awakened. Elijah goes to the house, sees the child lying on the bed, shuts the door, goes up and lays on the child, puts his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. He stretches out upon him. The flesh of the child becomes warm. Then he got up again. He walked back and forth in the house. He went up and stretched himself. The child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes. He was dead. Call the Shunammite. And he called her, and she said to him, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked her son and went out. An extraordinary miracle of God. The next miracle is found in 2 Kings 5, 1 to 19. Naaman is healed of leprosy. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. She worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What? Who's going to cure me of my leprosy? 
thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, verse 5. The king of Israel says, go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he took some gold, some talents of silver, shekels of gold, clothing, brought a letter to the king of Israel. Are you going to cure me of leprosy? The king of Israel read it, tore his clothes. Am I God to kill and make alive to this leprosy? This man sends word to me to cure him of his leprosy? No, I can't do that. But I do know a man of God. His name is Elisha. He heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me. And Naaman goes to the prophet. And the prophet says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Naaman takes his chariots and his horses, and he goes to Elisha's house, stands at the door. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman got angry. I'm not going to do that. How many times have you told God, I'm not going to do that? Didn't make any sense. Didn't sound like something you wanted to obey or something you wanted to do or something was from the Lord. What about the rivers in Damascus? Are they all right? Why do I got to go to this river? His servant came to him, very wise. My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken. Will you not do it? Wash and be clean. Sometimes the answer is easy and the remedy is simple. And all you got to do is obey the word of the Lord. So he dipped seven times in the Jordan River and the flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Now Gehazi, the servant of the Lord, he made a terrible mistake. He got greedy. Read that text. I won't read this one for you. Second Kings chapter 5. Read about Gehazi. I love reading that scripture about Gehazi. We see more miracles in chapter 6 of 2 Kings. Horses and the chariots of fire. Again, fantastic miracle. Fantastic miracle. Fantastic miracle from the mouth and the hands of Elisha. When the servant of God, verse 15 of chapter 6, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. The servant said, Master, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us. We're outnumbered. Elisha prayed. He wasn't worried. Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed that God would open his eyes to see the mountain full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. And so Elisha trusted in the Lord. And these are, again, great miracles. Please enjoy them. Great miracles of God. And they spark in us tremendous faith. Trust in the Lord. It may not look like things are good, but when you see the unseen world and you see what God can do, it is a very, very, very powerful thing. 2 Kings chapter 9 is another scripture. Jehu appointed king of Israel. Jehu assassinates Jerob and Amaziah. And so we see the wicked exploits of the kings of Israel. 
And we see what happens when we do not obey the Lord. In 2 Kings chapter 11, to finish off this section, 1 through 20a, Athaliah reigns in Judah. So now we're looking at the southern kingdom. And Joash is anointed king in Judah. Again, for time's sake, read through these. Read through the ways that God can speak to you through an historical document. The way that God can speak to you from an historical perspective. That's what you want to pay attention to. Sometimes things will just come right to you. Sometimes it might take a little bit more digging to come up with what God is saying in the context of that time and today. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters long. It is a wonderful letter of Paul's, and we go to chapter 4. Now, this middle section here is, again, very interesting because he's going to talk about, in chapter 5, sexual immorality in the church and how to deal with sexual immorality. In chapter 6, He's going to talk about lawsuits against believers and about fleeing sexual immorality. I've said sexual immorality twice. Carneth was an infamous place for sexual immorality. Porneia is the Greek word. And Paul was calling them to flee from sexual immorality and to act in a holy, godly, and righteous way as God is. That they did not have permission to continue to be sexually immoral while they were following the Lord. And in chapter 7, we see principles of marriage. And in chapter, and we see that throughout the chapter. All right, if we go back to chapter 4, we see the ministry of the disciples. And again, Paul is dealing in Corinthians with specific cases and specific problems. He's dealing with apostleship here. They were questioning his apostleship. As I said, you have a sexually immoral situation in chapter 5. It is actually reported, verse 1, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So, Paul's response to immoral behavior is found in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he cautions us in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be controlled by anything. He said food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is created in the image and likeness of God. It is to be used only for the Lord. It is not be, to be used in a sexual nature that's contrary to the scriptures. This is a fabulous text, chapter 6, second half of chapter 6. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee porneia. Run away. Run away. You are not your own. Verse 20, you are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. May God be glorified in your body, in what you do on a daily basis, which is holy, godly, and righteous. Beautiful 
chapter, chapter six. Chapter seven, the principles of marriage, husband and wife, married and unmarried, he gives advice. The scriptures does not run away from that. Does not obfuscate its responsibility to tell us what marriage looks like and should be like. Verse 17 of chapter seven. Only let us lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Live the life that God has assigned to you. We do not have permission to do whatever we want. We do what the Lord has assigned us and called us to. In the interim time, there is tremendous amount of pressure to do evil because of sin in this world. And so he answers those questions and he goes back to discussing the situation with the unmarried and the widow in the last half of chapter seven. But in this time frame that we are given in this daily lectionary, we are actually looking at the first half of chapter seven. Now, for those of you that have a study Bible, what you'll want to do is read those notes at the bottom and they sometimes are very helpful in setting the scene, giving you some context. Perhaps some of them are very good about things that we should think about as Christians and, and looking at our behavior. So enjoy 1 Corinthians 4, 5, 6, and 7. Now, you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sure, for a very long time. The Sermon on the Mount is to be savored, it's to be enjoyed, but it's also very, very challenging. Very challenging. Let's start with chapter 5, verse 21. Anger. You have said that it was said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Then he talks about lust, which we just talked about, sexual immorality. You should not commit adultery. But I say to you, this is Jesus' words, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better than lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus has a very, very strong teaching about hell. And divorce, only on grounds of sexual immorality can you divorce someone without committing adultery. Oaths, retaliation, getting back at people, Jesus is very much against that, very much against that. And then the famous end of chapter five, which I love so much, which is painful to do, and that's loving your enemies. Love your enemies, verse 44. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what that means is we are called to live holy, godly lives and to be enriched in the Word of God and grow in maturity in Christ.
In chapter 6, we have giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, which you've heard about. There it is in Scripture. Fasting, the subject of fasting. And then laying up treasures in heaven. Now, each of these sections, or pericopes as we call them, you study them, you read them, you think about them. They're very practical. Also, there's obviously some serious theology present. You are very practical about what the Lord is saying to you, and you reflect upon that. Verse 19 of chapter 6, for example. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's important in this life? Putting up treasure in heaven. Putting up treasure in heaven. They can't take your stuff in heaven. They can't destroy what you've laid up in heaven. They can in this world. And so it is very important to focus on the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Focus on the words that he's saying to you. Again, the scriptures are very important for you and me to read on a regular basis. So we look at Elisha, the great prophet, and we look at the history of the kings of Judah and Israel that did not obey the Lord. We look at 1 Corinthians 4, 5, 6, and 7, where there's problems in the church, lots of sexual immorality. He talks about marriage, Paul does. And then finally, we're beginning stages of Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount. Enjoy your reading for this week. And may God bless you abundantly, and I'll see you next week for the Word of God.